1: following program is intended for immature audiences only don't think just listen coast to coast border to border and around the world you're going online with
2: Hi everyone, yours truly, William, Eric, Alexander, all my friends call me Bill and welcome to Online with Bill Alexander here at italknet.com and also on WMCK.FM and Fayette TV Channel 77 as we broadcast live from the Phil Giannetti Motors Studio, high atop High Street in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. Hope everything's going fine for you. Tonight we have a great guest, duo, couple, whatever you want to call them. We have the Lark and the Loon, and we're going to be talking about their new CD, The Lark and the Loon 2. But before we get started with them, let me share a little bit of music for you here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
3: Down and out, hard of times, seems to describe every day of mine, every luck of the draw. Every roll of the dice Well I can point all my fingers I can point all my toes The only one to blame I suppose is Silly and oh, so Stubborn me I give you my kid unoriginal, but someday
2: And the Loon and change your tune. Everyone, welcome back to Online with Bill Alexander. On the phone right now, we have the Lark and we have the Loon. We have Jeff and Rocky Rolfson. Is Am I saying that right? That's correct. Uh,
4: That was great. That was perfect.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. I've been practicing. Anyway, who's the Lark and who's the Loon?
1: Uh, the lark is Rocky. Okay, he was born in Montana, and the Western Meadowlark is the state bird of Montana. Okay, I was born in Minnesota, and the state bird there is, of course, the Common Loon. It has nothing to do with my level of sanity.
2: <laughs> well, when I when I saw this the first time, I thought that may have been why you called yourselves that. But that's nice to know that they're actually state birds. I did not realize that.
1: Yeah, we you know when we we've, we've been to Europe a few times, and when we play over there, they don't they don't call them loons they have the same bird, but they call them divers. Okay. And so people don't know what that means. Like what, what is the loon? They assume it means that you're insane or they'll lose the spelling and they'll say the lark and the loon L U N E which is which is a mathematical term. Okay. So it doesn't make any sense. Like you're doing algebra. So it's kind of a funny, it's a funny band name sometimes when we travel. So
2: just we're in Southwestern Pennsylvania is where I'm doing this program. And a lot of my audience is in this area not to mention, um, we have a lot of people listening to us in Houston and in San Francisco for some reason. I still can't figure that out, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But where, where, who are you guys? Where are you from, and how did you get started?
1: Well, we are currently talking to you from our house, and that is in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Okay. That's in
4: northwest Arkansas.
1: That's in the Ozark Mountains. So if you aren't familiar with it, you might know it from True Detective. The third season of True Detective takes place in the Ozark. Um, The show Ozark on Netflix takes place probably about two hours north of us. They shoot it in Georgia, but it's nearby. And so that's where we are now. And we like it here because it's so central to the United States. We can get to all these places in relatively a short amount of time. You know, if you're traveling from... Where you are in Pennsylvania, you want to get all the way out to, say, San Francisco. It's going to take you a long time. Right. And so from out here, it's, kind of, it's a great place to base yourself out of as a musician. And we live kind of out in the middle of the woods. And so actually, um, just a few minutes ago, we were kind of worried because there was a pack of coyotes right by our house, So we were wondering if that was going to interrupt the, uh, the phone call.
4: might them chiming in once in a while.
1: Okay. But originally, we met in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was, Like I mentioned earlier, I was born in Minnesota. And so we met there through the music scene. We got married up there, and then we moved to Chicago for a little while, and had a wonderful time there. And wanted to trade it in for something a little bit more relaxing. So that's why we chose the Ozark Mountains. It was kind of a nice choice for getting out of the city and getting more in touch with nature and ourselves.
2: Now, from I, I listened to another interview that you guys did a couple weeks ago, and. Jeff, you were, you were, you were actually born and raised city and Rocky, you were middle of nowhere, Montana. So, I mean, it, it had to have been an adjustment for you
4: moving to the city
2: to Minneapolis. Well, I, yeah.
4: I, yeah, I grew up, I was a small towny girl raised in between East Montana and Western South Dakota. So okay. we have our own community up there. You know, we're not all just, you know, into into the rural life we all have different arts that we like to explore and there's you know i I lived in a town of 1500 in montana it's my hometown little town called baker and then my family moved to a town of um, about 10,000 people in western south dakota spearfish south dakota and so that was like a metropolis to me okay moving from a town of 1500 people to 10,000 was like crazy big for me. So, I mean, I was already like living in the city um, when I was seven. That was a, you know, and then I found out there were larger cities out there. <laughs> you you can, you, can, you can move up from here. And my um, fascination with wanting to move to any city became a big goal of mine. So, I have lived in cities prior to living in Minneapolis. Okay. I spent some time in New York City after I graduated from high school. I studied theater out there for a year in Manhattan and got to experience that city, and then I moved to Minneapolis later on where I lived and performed for five years. But I met Jeff, had a great time up there. So I I like that. That seemed to be a good compromise between the small town Rural life, more more rural life. I had in the Dakotas and the Montana, out on the Great Plains, um, and New York. So it was a very happy medium. I we had a great time in Minneapolis. And then Jeff and I decided to move to Chicago. And
1: just... yeah, and for me coming out here, you know, I I think Minneapolis and St. Paul, the whole metro area, is about three and a half million.
5: Okay, and then
1: Chicago was at least double that, if not more. Depending right, on how you want to um, how you want to formulate the population there. And so when we came down here, our town is about two thousand people, and so
4: that was as culture shock for Jeff. <laughs> well, totally well, I'm crazy. sure it it's was.
1: Yeah, everything I see out here, like the the coyotes I was talking about, like that still is incredible. When I'm sleeping and I just hear them all going off the distance, and going outside and hearing the sound of like a million crickets, uh-huh. it's still it's just something that's just mind boggling to me. It just blows my mind to be able to see stars and to be able to just, like, smell grass and have no light pollution, those things are still a huge culture shock to me to this day. We've been out here for probably about four and a half years Oh, now. really? So what got you into music? Well, for me, I think um, it must have started off when I was younger. I had a big interest in the music classes that we took in school, and I think I liked them so much because they were really easy. I always got an A in music because okay. as a child... If you just show up, you'll pass, right? You know, I don't. I didn't have to memorize math. I didn't have to memorize things, and um, I didn't really have to pay attention or participate. You just had to be there, and so it made me more interested in it because it was such an easy class. And then as I got older, I learned that that I did enjoy singing, and so I tried out choir for a little while. And as you may recognize from my voice, I do not have a choral-friendly voice, (laughs) and so I didn't get solos. I didn't get a lot of. Um, attention as a okay. choralist but they used me a lot as a bassist and a baritone when I was in middle school because my voice was a little bit lower from right. that age. So I had a role and that felt good. I had something to do that I felt kind of included in and sort of an important role in and as I got older I got more into theater and acting and so musical theater became an outlet for exploring music as well and you can hear a lot of that on this record probably we both studied musical theater at different points in our lives Oh I didn't realize and that Yes, that actually probably influences us a little bit on there. But we still listen to a lot of stuff that influenced musical theater. You know, we listen to a lot of Tin Pan Alley right. material. And as I got older, I started realizing that I don't really like musical theater. I like theater. <laughs> and okay. I music, But when you took music and theater and put them together, I didn't like the end result. Okay. It was sort of like you watered down both things or something like that. And I still respect the art form. I still think it's amazing what people do with musical theater, uh-huh. but it wasn't for me. And so I started learning the guitar because that was kind of an easy instrument to learn. So I picked that up when I was about 17. And after I started doing that, I started kind of figuring out how to write songs. And that kind of blew my mind. I was like, you can just write your own song or you can just make it up and like, you can do that. And so once I figured out you can do that, I kind of started channeling my creativity into that. And then through that, I you know, ended up meeting my wife a couple years later which is kind of a wonderful, wonderful happening.
5: <laughs> uh, she's
2: <laughs> blushing now. <laughs> so I'm, I, and I've mentioned this on Facebook. I also mentioned to my audience um, when I was billboarding the program that I get music on a regular basis, but I get leery when I get them because I'm going why do they send them to a talk show host of all people? And yeah, I do do a small music program too. but i I opened the CD up, I put it in, and just the first minute and a half, I fell in love with the album. And I love the song I opened the show up with that I change your tune. And not only that, the animation for the video, which Jeff, I didn't I just found out we'll talking to you before we got on the air tonight, that you actually did the animation for your own music. What does that yeah, feel like yeah. to be able to create your own music video? I mean, you're not really, you're not personally performing in it, but you're putting characters to your lyrics.
1: It was, it was really weird. We we had done two other animated videos before this one. Mm-hmm. And the first one that we did was with a really good friend of mine that i had known since I was, you know, in middle school. I actually met him doing choir in middle school, okay. going back to our earlier time. And I asked him if he would animate it, and he said, sure. And he put it together, and it was this great rubber hose-style animation. It was all in black and white. And we gave a little bit of input, but for the most part, he did the entire thing from start to finish. Right. And we loved it. It was great. But you could tell he cut a lot of corners in there. I knew it wasn't the best thing he could make, but we still really appreciated it. Okay. And then we did a second one, and this one was all in color, and Rock and I really spent a lot of time figuring out what we wanted to do, and then we found an animator that we wanted to work with and, and made it. And so this time around, we were trying to do that again. We really like using animation, mostly because I don't think we want to make music videos, but we're actually in the music video. Okay. I don't know if it's a shyness thing or what. And so we were sitting down, and we were talking about what to do and who to work with, and finally, I think Rock was the one who said, she's like, you could probably just like make it on your own. And we had animation software on the computer, but I had never learned how to use it. And so finally, I was like, yeah, I bet I can do this. I bet I can figure this out. And so I sat down and started messing around with it, and I was so bad at it. I was just awful. And all my animations just looked terrible. They were like nothing was moving the way I wanted it to move, and there were all these glitches in it. And so I was like, this is going to take me a lot of work. And so I sat down, I think, like how long was it, like 10 hours a day every day?
4: It was a long time. That's a long yeah.
1: time. I, I just sitting in the rabbit hole about 10 days. I probably spent 100 hours on it, like, in a week and a half. From start to finish. And I, everything on there, on that video, I drew and then animated it. And Rock came up with the idea and the concept of using different, like, video game motifs to kind of make it more imaginative and kind of immersive and as a way to utilize color. Because I like the black and white, but we also wanted to have a little bit of color in it. So if you watch the video, there's a, you know, there's both color and there's black and white. But it was, it was really fun, you know, listening to your music. And then looking at it from a different perspective as like an animator, I had to divide the musician part from the animator part. And I wasn't a developed animator, which is what the biggest challenge was, is I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. But I did know the music. So I just let the music kind of guide me because I knew what I wanted it to look like because I already knew what I thought about the song and what I saw in my head with it. So it kind of guided itself along. I was able to finish it fairly quickly, and I only had to edit it a couple of times after it was done. I, I think it's, you can probably tell that I'm not like a professional animator, but I'm still proud of it. I think it's a pretty well, solid music video.
2: I think it, I think it's actually very good, and I think it actually fits the style of music that you're playing, which leads to me to my next question. What do you consider the genre or style of music that you are performing?
4: Well, we like to tell people that we explore the etymology of American music, Okay, which sounds very broad, but... It gives us an excuse to play many genres okay. of music, any genre. Um, so that means pre-war blues era music, prairie western country music, turn of the century rags. A lot of time, you
1: know, a lot of. I mean, you can of list pay. off uh, uh, like war music a lot, or Irish, war blues, music. So you know, was,
4: Irish music, whatever was whatever was popular during that era in music. It was such a vibrant time, the pre war blues era right. of music. I mean, you had so many different genres of music going on at, at once. You know, you had this really interesting generation of people who were all coming together and exploring and experiencing different sounds and tones and languages. And we like to try our best to explore the festive nature of that time in, in American history because there's so much to be explored there. It's just endless, really. You can just, we never get bored when we're learning about the music. I yeah, understand. The, the,
1: the short term is Neo okay. folk. I think
4: that's, you're going, that's you're going with Google. I forget we have Google <laughs> to, to, to consider. <laughs> the that's the short. That's the short term. Okay. But I think they, they might get that from our songwriting because I feel like our performance. And our song writing are a little bit different. Yeah, um, we do explore, I guess, some darker themes and, and motifs in our in our music through through writing. So maybe that's okay. where we pulled that label from. But um, a lot of people will say we're pre war blues, okay, uh, Americana oh, music. And, 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 So folk music, Americana. I guess everyone has a, a different <laughs>
1: somewhere out there that, it. that covers ideas. it yeah, right. yeah. They, they throw a lot of at us yeah
4: i understand where
2: you're coming from on that because like i said i do a program for a station here and i called it something for a long time and i'm going it pigeonholes me when i play just that sort of music i so we changed the format of the show and we now call it bill's favorite music so now i can play anything that's my favorite <laughs> that's music awesome. And guess what features what album's going to be featured this weekend on my program is going to be yours, just to let you know. Because again,
4: thank <laughs> you.
2: Because I really enjoy it and I love this style of music because it it it's something that I can I how do I want to put it? Um my wife asked me, because she asked me about doing the interview tonight, and I told her, and she said where would I hear this at? And I said, Well, it's folk music per se. I said, If you remember the old days of a prairie home companion, you would hear it on there. And she goes, I got it. Right. And I'm going, That's totally right. And, that, and I'm going, That works for me, and that's the way I describe it. But speaking of NPR, not that I really was, but did you compete in the tiny desk competition? Yeah,
1: we did put a song in there. Yeah, Okay. Shot right. what you got.
2: Now, you said you're shy about being on camera, and you were on camera for that video.
1: We don't mind doing stuff like that. Okay. It's the music video thing that freaks us out. Okay, so in other words, if you're performing, you're okay,
2: but if you're acting it out, you have an issue with it.
1: I I
4: get a little bit nervous whenever there's a camera. Okay. I'm trying to break past that because it gets really hard to have to stop and start over all the time. Oh, I understand. You have to commit, you know? That's what, <laughs> with anything, it's just like live performance, you know? You just have to, to commit. <laughs> but, I get you. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, we'll it's probably based on some insecurity because if you watch a lot of music videos with musicians, as a musician, you receive it differently than a regular audience member would. Okay. And what we see is all of the direction that they're getting from the other side of the camera. Okay. Like someone being like, all right, you're going to walk through this field. And we want you to look really, really deep in thought. And you're <laughs> going to just do that for, like, two minutes. And we're just going to cut it up and, like, insert it in the middle of the song. And, like, just moments like that, we just wonder, like, what are they, what are they telling these people to do in this video? Right. And so we get kind of nervous about doing, like, a contemporary, more, I guess, contemporary music video for that reason. Is we're like, what are, what are people going to tell us to do? Are we going to look really silly?
2: I, I, I understand. I actually understand where you're coming from because if they would tell me to do that, I would laugh hysterically at them, because I'm going how right. do I how do I contemplate something like that in the middle of a field? But uh, <laughs> that's why I do what I do, and I don't do that. Uh, how right. many how many CDs have you put out so far?
1: This one, ironically, the album is called Two, and it is our third album, um, which. <laughs> People, people are confusing it. Some people think it's the second album. The reason it's called Two is actually because all 12 songs are duets, and it was oh, written by the two of us. I didn't but know. It's
4: interesting what you mentioned Change Our Tune because that was the song that, I guess, spawned the idea to write an album of duets. We said, hey, we should take this song. And do it 11 times? And do it 11 times. <laughs> and we wrote that song probably about three years ago, um, at least. And okay. we've been writing duets, trying, trying <laughs> to write songs. Um, we tried to write songs for for the project, too, and just kept scrapping duet after duet after duet until and writing some and keeping some until we finally compiled... 11 duets initially that we felt comfortable recording. We booked the studio time down at Maroney Studios and with Bruce Nelson, who plays on the album, plays upright face fabulously on on the record. So fortunate to have worked with him. Anyway, we booked the time um, there and on our way down to New Orleans to record we um, wrote Misfortune, which is a track off of 2. So we ended up uh, recording 12 duets for this for this album um
1: and it's the second one that we recorded that year so the, the second album that we did is called homestead hands and we went into the project knowing that homestead hands is going to be a record more rural focused okay and that one has a lot of cowboy inspired music a lot of prairie western music a lot of music inspired by rock's upbringing in montana and the black oh,
2: hills that sounds interesting
1: yeah that one is predominantly all rural motifs okay and then two focuses more on urban motifs so we did that intentionally we actually recorded homestead hands in like late february of last year and then six weeks later we went down to new orleans and recorded two and we were going to release both albums at the exact same time but we decided that would be a little weird so we staggered the release out. we put homestead hands out in september of last year and then we did two you know just on may 20th right and the reason we did that was because our first record, which is called Songbirds and Fog, was 70, 73 minutes, and it was 19 songs. And it was really fun to make. We made it in this very room that we're talking to you from, from our little house in the woods. Okay. And it was well-received, but it was like so much music. And so we were like, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't put out like that much music at once. We should put it out and focus more on the songs, make sure that they are written the way we want them to be written. And we wanted to kind of maintain that, more rootsy, raw energy feel okay. that we had with that record. And so that's why we did it the way that we did with just the twelve-song batches. So it's kind of there's sort of like uh two different sides of the same coin, and two is the, the finishing part of that project.
5: Oh,
2: okay. And for the audience, you're listening to WMCK.fm and you're also watching us on Fayette TV channel seventy-seven and you're watching us on italknet.com. Now, the music that you've done, like you said, this is the third album, and I know this is like asking you about who's your favorite child, but which one is your favorite so far?
1: <laughs> we, we joke around. We don't have kids. So we joke around that our records are our children.
4: We just we were just talking about that the other day. So we can answer that question, honestly. Okay.
1: I think two is our favorite record of, of them all. We sort of joke around that Homestead Hands and two are twins. that We had twins.
5: Ah, okay.
2: Well, they came I out think, so close together. The first
1: one is more like twins. The first one's a double LP, but okay. two is definitely our favorite. It might just be because it's the one we just put out, but I feel like I like it a lot because it splits the songs up equally between rock and I, you know, on Homestead Hands and on Songbirds and Fog, or other two albums, there are some tracks that I'm the only vocalist on. Okay. And there are some tracks that Rocky is the only vocalist on. And so with two, it's great because we're both on it pretty much 50-50, it's not. There's not a trade-off of who's singing lead on which song. We're both the main person in each song. There
4: was a lot of intense arranging that went into two. Oh maybe, really? Maybe we, we got very cranial with it. I mean, we put some some focused detail into into the album. So I would have to say two is also my favorite album, baby.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess if, we, if we're talking, if we're talking like that. And I feel like it, the whole package just came together really well. We had a great re- time like, recording um, at Maroney. And we have Rick Nelson on the bass. So I think that really bumps up the recording. Yeah, Rick, is amazing. Rick was so, our Rick
1: was our engineer. He owns the studio that we use. Right. And he's one of the founding members of the Polyphonic Spree. You know who they are? Um, and he's also one of the instrumentalists in the band Afghan Wigs. Okay. And so he's, like a, he's a big rock guy. Those are some pretty... Pretty substantial bands. Right. And I knew about this going into the studio, and Rick was really cool about it. And he said it was the first day we showed up. He was like, you know, if you guys want, I can play some strings on this record. I'd play, you know, play a little bit of violin, a little bit of viola, and I could play some, maybe put some bass on there. And Rock and I were like, yeah, all right, we'll think about it. You know, whatever. Like, man, this guy really wants to play with us? Are you kidding me? And by the second day, we had so much fun the first day with him. Uh, it was four days in the studio total. By the second day, he had brought his bass in, okay. and we spent the rest of the time messing around, throwing him on every track. That's and He cool. was a, just a joy to You know, the guys, the guys, amazing, and his engineering is really what helps make the record sound really. the way it does. That's cool.
4: We're very fortunate to have worked with Marini. Um from start to finish. the The process was smooth as smooth as butter. We had it our album mastered there as well Justin did a great job with that um, and then we released Homestead Hand while we were working on on two so we released our other album while we were getting ready for, for this release and it was just it was so much fun from from the art the artwork looks really cool maybe I like it more because the, I really like this album art we've been fortunate enough to work with the same designer over the last couple of years Jameson who really just nailed everything you were going for yeah, uh, really for this job. album so we're we're definitely really proud
1: to to put this this
5: album
4: in particular out there but so we're proud of all of them uh, we love them, the, them, the them all the time i'm uh, sure you everything. do yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you're, you're,
2: <laughs> you were talking about the interest instruments that are on here and i'm reading um what rocky plays what is a plectrum banjo
4: a some banjo, the four string banjo. Okay. Um it's it I guess it's similar in look to a terror banjo and it's it was really popular um in like in like swing, like the old old um, swing music in the, the jazz era. Okay. Um very percussive in in nature, which is complementary to, you know, the washboard playing that I do. Um so that's um That's what that little instrument is. I know people have played it in other genres of music as well, but that's the one I've been trying to study.
2: So where do you train to learn how to play a washboard?
4: (laughs) That is a very good question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Honestly, the best training I've had has been from a, a blues artist uh, named Blindly Fuller and his washboard player, Full City Red. Okay. His name is actually George Washington. Um, they were recording blues artists of the 1920s and 30s era and his washboard playing is what really inspired me to want to learn blues washboard. I had have, I have played like a little bit of bluegrass washboard. It's kind of like the scratching shuffle beat thing before this jamming. Um, so it's been from listening to, um, I need some water here, to old records, old blues records. Okay. Jeff just, just, can tell you a little bit more about that water. Yeah,
1: the interesting thing is, so we have these records from Blind Boy Fuller, who's famously a hell of a guitar player. The guy's amazing. And... Rock learned a lot of these things from that Washboard player, and I actually have Blind Boy Fuller's old guitar. Supposedly,
5: oh, really?
1: okay, allegedly, I don't know if it's for sure, um, but it is a 1936 14 Fred Duolian. Supposedly, it used to belong to him, and it was stolen from him or something in Colorado, and like some collector got it, and somehow we had acquired it. Okay. Um, couple years ago. But anyway, so it's kind of this fun thing with the washboard because she learned from this washboard player that played with him specifically. And to have what is supposedly his guitar, now using it with these techniques that she had learned from the washboard is really something that's kind of amazing. So there's some of the tracks on there. um, The track Wishing Well comes to mind that we really spent some time listening to the different sounds that they were getting on those records from the 20s and 30s and what made his washboard playing unique and trying to adapt that into kind of a more modern sound and getting some of those washboard guitar sounds that they were getting and just making them a little bit more contemporary.
5: Gotcha.
2: And the other thing I noticed you play also is the kazoo, which I'm sure you had yeah. classical training on the kazoo also.
4: Oh, I can't even tell you how much classical training <laughs> I've had. Like, um, well, that's has been a, a response to listening to Mostly Louis Armstrong and the the all stars and all the other right. bands he's been in. Listening to the horn lines, um, I really love that that style, that sound of the of the horns just talking and having a conversation with one another. So I try and emulate that with just <laughs> harmonica playing. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, I would say I try and hold down the line of the trombone. Okay. Or. Or maybe the tuba. I kinda depends. maybe I stuck up like a clarinet tone. It's, I don't know. I have a long way to go on the kazoo, but I, I hope to 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 get better one of these days. I, and, love and the kazoo. It. I think the
2: kazoo's great. I love it. The other thing you play too
4: You also play awesome.
2: accordion too? Yes, I, I
4: play I play the accordion.
2: Were you did, little, Okay. now now being serious, did you take lessons to play accordion?
4: I did not. Or did you just I, pick um, it up? Well, I yes, I I just picked it up. I'm self-taught for the most part. I did grow, uh, grow up taking piano, lessons. okay. So I I had a foundation in gotcha in in the piano, and then later on the strings, because it's easier to carry around as I was venturing off to all my big cities around well, around the, the country. The and, reason um, so, the, yeah, the
2: the um, reason I ask is I come from a family of accordion players and you don't oh, yeah. meet very many anymore.
4: You know, not as many as, as you'd think. It's kind of, um, I mean, it, I guess it depends on maybe where you live in the world. Uh-huh. I assume it, different countries. Like, it's still popular maybe, but I guess you come from a family of accordions. So do you... Did your family think it's on the decline as well? The well, popularity. Well, unfortunately,
2: early? I that the ones that played it. I had an uncle that played it. Unfortunately, he passed away about 15 years ago. And my grandfather played it, and he passed away 30 years ago. So I was very young when they played it, and they were part of. And the reason it's big in southwestern Pennsylvania is because it's part of polka bands. So right. They that that's why they played it, and it and it's it's one of those things that that you actually. It's an acquired sound, an acquired taste. Be able to love, like accordion. I love it. My son, who is 19 years old, who is a musical theater major at the uh, university not too far from here, he picked one up about two years ago, and he was able to play it. He can play one song on it, and he can play Ode to Joy. That's it. <laughs> hey,
4: that's a good one. Because he, <laughs> good cause he,
2: cause he also had piano lessons for years, and he wanted to learn how to play it because he knew his great-grandfather played it and he just wanted to try it. And of course, he had his great-grandfather's accordion, and he actually was able to knock it out in about an hour. So again, like I said, it's very unusual to hear somebody, and I'm not trying to guess your age or anything, but someone of your age and background playing accordion in, in 2019.
4: Yeah, it's. I think it's a beautiful, wily sound. It's a lot like breathing. Yes. You know, I, I find that if you... Breathe with the the rhythm of the instrument. It makes it a lot less grueling because it it can be. It's kind of an intimidating looking thing. Yes, and it's it kind is. Kind of finicky. Maybe that's why. Because once the ac- accordion wreaths start to to bend or warp, over you know, time with heat and humidity and all of that, you have to get it repaired. And I know it can. I still haven't like ever rep- repaired one of my accordions. Like I can't. I probably should.
5: Mm-hmm. But
4: anyway, um it's kind of expensive to repair, and so maybe people get distraught you know like they can't afford to tune it up like it's like five hundred dollars sometimes and i don't know um to to get it tuned so maybe people put it down because it's not as easy of a fix it's a guitar
1: I can't. Um, I can't do it. It's like it's you, also,
4: really you can't bad. see your left hand. Yes, so you have to really trust your the placement of your fingers. Do you play the accordion?
2: Unfortunately, I don't. I have no musical ability whatsoever. That's why I went into radio.
4: Oh, <laughs> and well, I, well, hey, that's an ability in itself, right there. Yeah,
2: and I and I can't. <laughs> of all
5: my
4: all
2: my kids and my wife can read music. I cannot read music to save my
1: life. Well, neither can I. So, if that and, makes you feel better, well, I can read music
2: at all, and I love. To I don't sing.
4: read it as well as I should be able to, and
2: I love to sing. That's the whole thing because I used to do it in okay, high school so. and I did stuff in college, but the older I get, the further away I get from it. So I don't do it as much as I used to. So right, but it's something
4: you can always do because it'll, it'll
2: right. be with you. Right. So, music is that your full time jobs?
4: As of right now,
1: yes. Okay. It's been nice. We we travel around a lot. We tour probably usually in a good year, like eight months a year. I think this year we've kind of slowed down a little bit because we put this album out. Right. Last year we went overseas in December. We were in Germany for like a month, and it was really tiring. And so we stayed home all winter, which was great. We hadn't really done that for a long time. And so we were home for probably like three months, which is an insane amount of time to be home. And now we're getting back out there. We're leaving at the end of the month to go on a Western tour. And then we're going along the Gulf and the East coast right after that. So we'll get out there hit really hard, play a bunch of shows, you know, really, really hustle. And then uh, we're like, you can live out in Arkansas for like nothing super cheap out here. So we're really fortunate enough to have this place where you can live and exist here. And then go out on the road and do that out there and just kind of bring it all home. But we also live in a tourist town. So, like, we can go out and play on the street or get a gig in town and actually do really well. So it's kind of nice for a town of, like, 2,000 people to be able to support yourself as an artist. Well,
2: that's what I was going to ask you, because um, with your music, and I know the Internet probably plays a big part of it, but how how do you find your audience, or do they just find you?
1: Kind of both now. I guess a lot of it has to do with social media these days. That's one of the most important things with musicians and connecting with your audience when you're on the road. Okay. And we don't really like social media very much because we, we live like in the middle of the woods. We don't really have neighbors or like a community around us necessarily. We have to drive to the community, which is like 10 miles away. Okay. And so kind of weird to interact with people at all, let alone through social media, which feels like really detached. But that's been a really important thing to do. So we try to share a lot of things like on our Instagram and stuff, like pictures about where we're living and what we're up to when we're taking time off.
4: Pictures of birds.
1: <laughs> Lots of pictures of birds. <laughs> and our, pets, our, pets are, our pets are in all of our albums. There's a picture of a pet on every record. Okay. And, and we, try to, we try to just like be engaged in that way, not really trying to show off anything, but just showing where we're at. And if we go to someplace cool when we're traveling, this is what we saw. And this is some cool flowers in our front yard or whatever. And that actually kind of has helped engage things. I think people just get to see who we are. But then there's radio. We still really believe in the power of radio. And I think radio is a really great medium. And I'm, I'm, I hesitate to say that it's that it's fading away because of the Internet. Because we've been focusing some of our stuff on Internet-based radio stations, or okay. just like the Spotify playlist. And I just don't feel like it has that energy that you have on the radio. There's something about hearing something in your car That you didn't choose or there's something about having somebody else curate music and tell you the listener like i think this is good you listen to it and then you have to decide if you like it or not but you weren't introduced to through any just mean of your own you know it wasn't an algorithm that showed you this song it was an actual person who decided that you should at least give it a chance and so radio has been great for us we send a lot of our stuff out to radio and we try to pick people like yourself Whenever we do send our CDs out, we try to like pick people that we think would be a good fit for
2: it. Well, I appreciate that you did send it to me. Um, you you made a comment, and I and let me back my th- train of thought here. I've talked to artists that um, in the last thirty years of doing this, either on radio, online, or however, and I've talked to uh, performers from the sixties and the seventies, and they always talked about their record label pushing the music always pushing it out Mm -hmm. pushing it out is this on your shoulders now or do you have a promotional team that actually pushes the stuff out
1: well it's just us when it comes to the music we produce and release everything on our own and when we actually put things out we do work with a publicist and it's not a publicity firm it's just a single person her name is sue Dumont and she's amazing okay she lives out in lopez island washington which is like A couple hours off the coast of like Port Townsend, Washington. So it's like way off the the, the coast of the continental United States, at least by my standards, way off. It's just a little island, and she lives out there on this island and she promotes some bands. And so we're lucky enough to have gotten in with her with our first record. She's looked at this every single time. And so she'll coach us through some things and she'll do some work as well. She doesn't do like a huge, massive push like a lot of these big publicity firms do. She does a very focused, very calibrated promotion of our music. And that's why we like working with her. Is it doesn't feel like something that is out of our control. It feels
4: like we're working together. Yeah. More she, than like, just with putting everything and... on the shoulders of one person. You know, there's a little bit more integration between the creative aspect and then the promotional aspect. So I feel like a little kind of learning the two of us learn alongside alongside her. But she's been great to work with. But yeah. so this it's a smaller, smaller operation. It's a very small team. Sure. <laughs> we
1: do all of our own bookings and we do a lot of our own promotion ourselves too okay. on top of it. So it's kind of, it, we sort of fill in a lot of the void that a record label would do. Most record labels will, you know, they'll, they'll finance these albums. They'll to find the producer for the records. They'll find all the musicians that are on it. They'll record it. They'll get the artwork done. They'll figure out your track listing, all your copyright stuff, and all the crazy digital codes that are embedded in the music. And then they'll get you booked for shows and they do all this, They just do it all. This and it's amazing but we've decided to just forego that and just do it on our own and we very easily could probably find a record label that would want to do all that stuff with us but I at least myself I can't really speak for you rock I really like doing it as an independent artist I oh, think it's, it's a lot been, of fun it's
4: been fabulous you know it it was it was a tough it was hard at first you know when you're kind of shooting into the dark and you're not quite sure what the right is uh, going to be like and a lot of you know it's sometimes things don't work out on the road and you're really disappointed. But then the next day you're just like overwhelmingly just like so grateful to, to play a wonderful gig somewhere. And since we've been on several national tours, um, multiple times, like the same routing, it's becoming easier to establish really great connections with certain venues, um, to return to them and then fill in other gates as, as we go. So it, we definitely have like some really solid um, venues that we've been working with for the past couple of years. And that makes it easier for the next tour. Now it's been much easier booking this, this tour for our upcoming release than tours in the past, just because of everything we've built on. So it's kind of a a snowball effect into um, a steady steady line of work.
1: It's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of error involved, but I'll tell you what, Bill. Nobody cares about you more than you, and we've learned that through music. That's very that true. When we do work with someone, if we work with a booking agent, they don't care about us the way that we care about it. Right. And even if they do care about us, they still have a profit motive, and that's totally fair. They should have a profit motive. But they'll do things. We get a booking agent for a couple of months, and he would do things like have us drive for like eight hours and play a show and then drive for eight hours and play a show. We just had no time to sleep. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Rocky's like, I don't want to do it either. So we just let him go because so we're just like, we're just gonna keep doing it on our own because like I'm tired and it's not worth it. At least to me, it's just not worth doing. You know, that, running yourself ragged. you know,
4: for a while it's okay, but you have to take care of yourself. And because we are doing all of our own driving as well, we have to be mindful that that's work and we can't push ourselves. And we need to be coherent and right, you know, right. in for the show or else.
1: Why are we doing it at all? If we most of most of
4: touring it, as a musician is driving. Feel well, yeah. Lots of driving. <laughs> unless, unless you hire someone, unless you're lucky yeah. you can afford that, yeah. Um,
2: you you made a comment about how you're using radio, and I and coming from a radio background and all the years I've worked in radio, I agree with you. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there that doesn't see the value of radio, and I think when it comes to independent music and new music that is what it's going to be used for in the future because where else are you going to get exposed to this stuff unless you go search for it? And how are you going to know to search for it unless you heard it somewhere before? So again, being Uh, able to do that in the car is really nice online radio stuff like that is great. The only problem is I can't get in somewhere and do it automatically. I have to consciously consciously make that choice to go have to log in. I have to click this. I have to do this radio, is pretty much voluntary. It's there, you're able to listen to it, and you're able to move on. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly what people need to start looking at because independent music is going to find its way there quicker than it will anywhere else.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because you mentioned an interview that we did recently. We went to our local NPR affiliate. Yeah. It's about an hour away from us. And we did this interview with them and we played a couple of songs and the guy who was running the interview pulled out these really nice microphones, these really great AKG microphones. And I was like, man, these are great mics. I didn't know you guys had these here. And he said, yeah, I found them in a closet somewhere. I guess they used them back in the day for classical music. They would go and record the orchestra and broadcast it live on the air. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. Like, public radio used to be really about the classical Stuffy, music. And yeah. he made a comment to me where he said, that was all we did. If it was music, it was only classical right. music. And said, so within the last 10 years, we've had to switch over to People like you, independent artists, because that's what gets—that's what gets us listeners, as opposed to classical music. And so there is a shift happening in radio that we've had no idea about until actually quite recently.
5: Yeah,
1: and it's—I guess—worked out for us. But I've—I've I've really enjoyed watching radio evolve throughout my lifetime, and now getting to take a very, very, very small role in it has been great to kind of see it on the inside a little bit more. Well,
4: I, I well, radio's been just awesome for us and. You know, when you're like, Well who who actually listens to it? Does this like does this even matter? And the answer is like yes, yes. Absolutely. We've had so many people who will come out to our gate saying, Oh, I heard you on the radio today in New Orleans, like so excited to see you and it's like we're just like so grateful that it's still something that's um, so useful to for independent artists and well.
2: others alike. It's hard to believe we're almost done. We've <laughs> we've been talking for for quite a while here and I've enjoyed it. I mean it, it's gone by real fast. The one thing I want to talk to you about before you leave, so where is this new tour going to take you this summer?
1: Well, we're starting in Kansas City, Missouri, and we are ending in Kansas City, Missouri. I think there's a few shows we've added to it. But basically You're making a circle or what? <laughs> no, we're going to Kansas City. Okay. And then we're heading up. Up and over to Colorado, okay. And then we're going up to the Black Hills, going as far west as Seattle, and then we're going around like the Oregon coast, and then sort of uh, hairpin turning back towards the Midwest, heading up towards Minnesota, and then we're going to be back home for probably three to four weeks, and then we're going to go back down to the Gulf Coast, to the east, the eastern coast in Florida and stuff.
4: Shopping around the
1: album. Yeah, getting it out there.
2: If you ever make it east, let me know, because I'd love to see a show. Absolutely. We would love to,
4: We always plan to go up there, and then we run out of time, but we we are absolutely planning a tour there soon. We would love to, to meet
2: you. Oh, I'd love to meet you, and I'd also love to have you on the program again, too, so we can talk about anything else you may be having coming out in the next, uh, say, year or two, and uh, being able to get the word out, because like I said, I fell in love with this CD and I unfortunately I haven't had a chance to listen to anything else you've done because I've been so focused on this one. So uh, once I'm done with this, and and once this week is over, and I get everything taken care of, I'm going to start listening to your other stuff too. Because again, I sure. I was oh, just blown away.
1: I'll send them over to you.
4: Thank you for the kind words. Oh, I mean appreciate so much that.
2: And you, and and Rocky and Jeff, I appreciate you taking your time on this uh, this uh, Monday night. And uh, what time is it there in uh, Arkansas right now?
1: We're an hour behind you. Is okay, what is it? it's uh, I, nine forty-eight.
2: I always, I always try to figure that out, and and I don't do math well. That's why I work in radio. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for joining me this evening. And again, good luck on the uh, sell of the new uh, CD, uh, Lark and Loon Two, and good luck on the tour. And uh, we'll talk to you next time.
4: Thank you so much. Have a great
2: summer. You too. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Jeff and Rocky Rolfson, otherwise known as the Lark and the Loon. We talked about their album tonight, the Lark and the Loon 2. And speaking of the Lark and the Loon 2, we got time to play one more song off the album. This is track number eight and it's called Wishing Well. Here it is online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.
3: penny a little dime to pick them up all oh, is hardly worth the time but that's just money ain't it funny how they find value in that little piece of mind oh wishing well oh don't you tell that little thought i gave you when that coin dream if it's no trouble won't you grant that wish for me i don't want gold or a fancy tailored suit if i could have the world i'd just give it all to you
2: The Lark and the Loon. Rocky and Jeff Rolston here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. I had a blast. That's great music. And again, um, I hope you enjoy it too. We're going to be doing a featured program of Bill's favorite music featuring the whole album, The Lark and the Loon 2, and that will be coming up real soon you know what? I should ask them to write theme music for me. Anyway, speaking of coming up real soon, on the next program, we'll be talking to former WDAD News Director, Chauncey Ross. Here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. Folks, I am out of here. I had a fun night tonight. Hopefully you did too. And we'll talk to you next time. Here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander.